if you've seen the movie Wall-E, I think Pixar is trying to tell us a little something about what it means to be human and what it means to work. This movie, if you haven't seen it, is about a cute and curious robot whose job it is is to clean up a trashed Earth. In fact, Earth is so trashed that, uh, that all the humans have been evacuated to these very high-tech, luxurious space stations. And in this space stations, it's really kind of a utopia. The humans just kind of live in a carefree, work-free environment. And they've been doing this for a long time, so much so that the humans have kind of evolved. Uh, the robots do all the work, and the humans sit in hovering couches. They stare at personal televisions, and they drink their breakfast, lunch, and supper out of giant plastic cups. Uh, they, they actually ha- they look like giant couch potatoes or big weeble wobbles if you're from the 80s. Uh, these, these humans, their skin is so soft like babies because it's never done any work. It's just there's no calluses on it at all. They're, they're kind of fat, round. They have little stubby arms and little stubby legs, and uh, that's all they do. I don't know if you think that's living. But again, I think that Pixar is trying to get at these deep questions about what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, and what it means to work. So it really does beg the question, what do you believe about work? Like, some people see work as a necessary evil. They literally sit, you know you're one of these people if you sit and daydream about winning the lottery so that you don't have to do work anymore. If you um, sit, sit around and think about that, you might be like the ancient Greeks. The, the Greeks would sit around and they would tell their stories of how the earth began. They would tell their creation story of in the beginning there were ages and ages of humankind. But, but then, one day, there was this golden age where the gods and the humans lived in harmony together. Nobody did any work. Like the earth just provided for them. Uh, some cultures, like the Mesopotamian culture, the Sumerian culture, the Babylon culture, their creation stories started with violent wars between gods that started the earth. And then, as they continued on, then the, the gods got tired of doing work, so they created humans. So the humans could take up that drudgery. Now, I don't know if you see work as a means to an end, but you know you'd be in this category if you sit around and think about what I'm going to do all weekend. Like, I've got to put in my time from 8 to 5 or whenever you work, but then, then I'll get to live after that. There's a disconnect between the two. Now, you might like your work. You might figure out what skills you have, that you're using those skills. You might even nod your head when somebody says to you, like, I think you found your calling but you really have no idea how, how your Sunday worship and your Monday through Friday work connect. Even though it feels good, you just have never figured that out. Uh, now, work might be your passion. You might think about work, you might dream about work, you might think about how you can work, how you can improve work, where you can work, when you can work, but you have no idea if God is pleased with your work. Now, when I was in school, I was told, find something that you like to do, that you're good at, and that you can make money at. And then you'll never have to work a day in your life. 
And I walked away feeling very confused and a little bit stressed. <laughs> what does that even mean? Well, statistics show that the average person is going to invest 100,000 hours of their life in work. I don't care if you believe the Bible or not. If you're going to invest 100,000 hours in something, you might want to think about it. You might, we might want to even think about what others have thought about it. Um, I, I do, and that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this series, is because we, we're going to spend so much time of our lives in work. It'd be good to think about if God has anything to say about it, and if the Bible has anything to say about it. And I want to suggest today that it does, that the Bible writers, specifically Genesis 1 and 2, make some radical, radical statements that go completely against mainstream culture about what it means to work, what it means to live, and what it means to be human. So, whether or not you have one of these, we have some in the back. If you don't have one, uh, raise your hand. Someone will l- literally deliver it. They won't be a robot, but they will. Because we just believe God's word is so important and still relevant to us today. And if you don't have one, uh, you can pull it up on your phone. We, I think we'll have the, them up here. But I'm going to Genesis 1. Starts, we're starting in verse 26. Uh, we're going to read a few sets of verses in this these two chapters. Genesis 1, verse 26, says this, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Let's skip down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had been doing. Skip down to verse five. It says that, that now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. In verse 15. So the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. These writers are trying to get at statements that go completely against the culture of the day, completely against the philosophies of the day, and I would say that even though these are thousands and thousands of years old, they go radically against our culture as well. The first thing I think that is pretty obvious, but you might have missed it, is the Lord God, our God, is a God who makes things. It says in the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. It says that God is a worker. In the beginning, he worked, and it was good. This is talking about the days before anything was wrong in the world. 
you've ever had conversations with people at work or in your neighborhood or even in your home, gosh, it just seems like there's so much wrong in the world. I turn on the news and there's death and stealing and sickness and murder and just keep going on. This is saying there wasn't any of that at the beginning. There was no violent warring of the gods that started life. There was, there was no drudgery of work as a burden. Work was good. It was very good. And God was a worker. Work isn't some evil thing. Now, it became difficult. We'll find that out in the weeks to come. It becomes toil. But here, work is described as an essential for life. Work is described in terms of rest and food and necessary things. Now, you might not buy the idea that work is good. Maybe it just seems too simple. Maybe you want to have more of an intellectual conversation about this. I, I have a few intellectual friends, and so they'd rather talk Greek philosophy or something like that. Give me something from Aristotle or Plato or one of those guys. Well, so I did some research. Plato actually does talk about this. Um, arguably one of Socrates' most famous students, he wrote a dialogue, one of his fourth dialogue, or his fourth dialogue, his last dialogue, it was called like Phaedo or something. And in it, he says this. It's about written about 1,500 to 2,000 years after Genesis is written. And he says that since the body is physical, and since the physical is going to decay and die, therefore um, it hampers the soul on its quest for truth. Okay? So, so therefore, the highest form of life is achieved when a person is least interested and least involved in the material world. Sounds kind of philosophical, right? Well, if that's true, then work would be a gigantic obstacle to a highly achieved, enlightened, highly valuable life. Well, that's what the Greeks would say. In fact, one of Plato's students... Aristotle wrote in his book, or one of his volumes of work called Politics, some people are just born to be slaves. Think about that. Now, this had nothing to do with skin color. Some people are just born to be slaves. Instead, it had everything to do with intellect. In this Greek philosophical world, this Western philosophy that I would argue has come all the way over to America and is alive and well, that intellect is the thing that gives us value. And an intellectual job, a professional job, that would have more value. Think about this. If you go to a school, who gets paid the most? A principal, the teachers, or the custodians? Who gets the most value? Principal, the teachers, or the custodians? Isn't there a segregation that goes on in our minds and throughout our lives? I was sitting on Friday afternoon and I was working at uh, our ministry center down the road and uh, Sue, one of our volunteers, came in and she worked on cleaning the ministry center as I'm working on this. And I thought about it and I'm like, which work is more godlike? Think about what the writer is saying in Genesis 1 and 2. God comes on the scene and he's an artist. Not to put the divine sovereign God in a box, but he creates. We could call it an artist. Then he brings a man out of the earth, 
we call that a sculptor, and he puts him in the garden, and he creates the plants, the animals. He's a gardener. This sounds like a lot of manual labor, doesn't it? God is, God, the, the writer of Genesis is trying to say that, that work, any work, separates us from the animals. It's all good. It's all separating us from that kind. There is no structure. In fact, anything that is like art, like creating or caring or cultivating, getting your hands dirty, I would say that's godly work. And there's a really good chance that your work is a lot more godly than you might think about it. We'll come back to that. The second thing I see here in this is that God celebrates his work. Now, a lot of times, especially in church, we don't like to talk about that. Ooh, you know, a pastor who talks to CEOs and addresses CEOs and, and explains the creativity and the innovation that goes into investment banking and unleashing resources to do things. He said, that's godly work. That's godlike work. And these CEO and banker after banker said, please go tell my pastor this. He just thinks I want to make money. God looks over all that he has made. He surveys it. He says, it's good. It's very good. Why? God doesn't want to gloat. God doesn't need to gloat. He doesn't need to create the earth. He doesn't, he's not lonely. He's not doing it out of some absence. He's doing it out of an abundance. Think about things that you've made where you can see sat, you're just kind of satisfied. We should get our fulfillment ultimately from God. But he's taking a little satisfaction in his work. When have you ever taken satisfaction in your work? I would argue that's when you see your fingerprints all over it. When you see the things that you have made and they express who you are, that that brings satisfaction. And I think the writer is saying, that's okay. Obviously, there's a limit to it, but that's okay because that's what we see in this story. We see God looking over everything and it displays his character. It displays his essence. It displays what, what Christians sometimes call glory. People can see God in creation. Have you ever stood at the Grand Canyon or stood in the mountains? What do people say? Most of the time, people say, oh, it just feels like the presence of God is more here. Not the most theological statement, but the point is that it displays who he is. And we can celebrate that. And I think that the church misses an opportunity when we talk about secular jobs and sacred jobs or spiritual jobs. Or that, that somehow the work of a pastor or a priest is somehow more godly or a higher calling. No, I, I think there is no separation between sacred and secular. If God is always present, then it's all spiritual. God is involved in everything, and he loves the material world. He created the material world, and we see in, in Revelation that the material world is not going to die. It's going to be made new. So he would, he would be encouraging this cultivating and this planting and this growing and this drawing out of potential, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, the point is that it's okay to find a little satisfaction. Not our total fulfillment, but our satisfaction because his glory is displayed in creation. And, and when we do that, we're expressing more of who God is. The third thing I see uh, is that God commissions humans to do work. 
He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number. He says, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, work it, take care of it. Sometimes people see these words as strong words that, strong words that give license to control or manipulate animals or the environment or really the whole earth. But the writer is not saying that at all. The writer is saying that if we're made as God's image bearers, which means that we reflect who God is, if we're supposed to reflect who God is, then we would do those things, the ruling, the subduing, the taking care of, and the working, we would do those things in the same ways that God would do those things. So God wouldn't manipulate. God wouldn't try and control. We don't ever see God doing those things. In the same way, we too would try and manage those things. We would try and draw the most out of them. That's this idea of cultivating or subduing. God looked over the creation and it was good. But in Genesis 2, we see that it was still a little empty. No shrubs had come up. Like the earth was untamed, but complete. So I'm sitting in my backyard last weekend and we had some friends come into town and, and one of them is quite a, quite a vegetable guy. And he looked at my tree that we just ironically happened to plant the same time we started restoration. And so this three foot tree is now about nine feet tall and it's got this one branch that's just drooping way over to the side and it's got these branches down below that are just two feet off the ground. And he said, how's that tree doing? And I said, well, it's just sprung up last year, but you know, this year it's been a little bit slower. And he says, you know how to see this thing almost double in size, don't you? And I, no, I just know it's alive. (laughs) I haven't killed it. (laughs) You should have seen my plants in college. Um, He goes, yeah, can I help you with that? And he's like, here's what you want to do. And he pulls the, the bottom ones off that are two feet off the ground and three feet off the ground and even four feet off the ground. And he says, see this one that's drooping this causing the whole tree to lean. I said, yeah. And he said, but this is the one that is the lead branch. And so if you just take this one off and he explains how he does it in the right way and the wrong way to trim a tree so it'll still be alive. And now all of a sudden, I've already seen growth just in a week of him doing this. This is called cultivating. This is called harnessing the potential. This is seeing what could be and then helping it grow. This is the work that God calls us to. And I would say that it's still the work God calls us to. What do you do? And I'm not talking paid, unpaid. Think about the work that you could categorize in these ways. Creating. Cultivating. Caring for. Drawing the potential out of. Seeing something mature and grow. I would say that the preschool teachers right across the hall are doing some amazing godly work, even if it's wiping something that we just don't, you know, whether we'll just say no. Um, (laughs) If they are saying, do you know God loves you? Do you know God made you? Do you know God wants to be your best friend for the rest of your life? That is pulling this potential out of these students. It's seeing and discovering and seeing how that can grow, not manipulating in any way. That is godly, godly work. God creates us and then commissions us to do the very same things. Uh, Have you ever heard of value? Uh, I have to even look. Value creation, it's an economics term. I didn't hear of it either. It's where you take uh, an input or a raw material 
and you do some work on it, and now all of a sudden it's better. It's more improved. Um, it's drawing out the potential. The word that, that the Bible uses there is flourish. Value economics is about flourishing. Human work, that's godly work, is about flourishing. And so, if we accept what this guy is saying, if we accept what the writer of Genesis 1 and 2 specifically is saying about work, we decide we're not going to go with the Greek philosophies, we're not going to go with the ancient Mesopotamian or Egyptian or any of those Sumerian philosophies, but instead we say, we're going to go with this philosophy of work. Well then, six days you shall work, and one day you shall rest. Work is good that we can find some satisfaction in our work. Not fulfillment. You know, where, when, when work isn't limited, that's where we get problems. That's where we're going next week. When we try and find our fulfillment in work, that's, that's a bad thing. We'll talk about why and how that happens. But, but regardless of what we're doing, or even if we like it, God is saying work is good. Find where I'm at work, and join me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus came on the scene and said, my work is to do the will of the one who sent me. And, and God sent Jesus, and his work could be classified as things that were creative, cultivating, caring for, finding places and helping people thrive and flourish. This is the work that we're called to. How do we let this idea change our view of work? And again, regardless of if we're a student and our work is to do homework, or if we're retired and we're wondering, like, what is my work now? This goes beyond paid and unpaid again. Can we let this idea not just change our view of work, but change our view of life? Because God said, work is an essential part of life. Part. God creates for life. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I have come to give life. In, even in the movie Wally, they put a little scene of this, and there's a little sprout of vegetation that grows. And on this trash earth, nothing can be found, and all of a sudden there's this plant that, that they want to take and protect. Why? Because it's life. It's flourishing. And we need flourishing. The world around us needs flourishing. The people that God had tried to raise up and train and develop to be this community of people that would walk with him, that would show people what life looks like, what really, truly living with God looks like. They messed it up. They didn't have the right flourishing. And so Jesus comes on the scene and fulfills what they couldn't do. He says, this is life. If you look through the Bible and you look at this idea of calling, it's really not a tangent, I promise. Some people think, I've got to find my dream job. I've got to find that place where it all fits together, where God has designed me and made me. And, and in America, we kind of have this quest for finding it. And we can take a personality test and a strength finders test. We can even take a spiritual gifts assessment. We call it an assessment because we don't want to say a test because, you know, that would be bad to fail. But 
all in this quest to find that place where it works. Well, one of the guys I studied in preparation for this said, you can look through the Bible, and there's about a hundred people that are called by God. It's just a rare thing. So if you're wondering, I've really never heard God. I've never really felt called into anything, let alone into my work. You're normal. That's okay. God called everyone into work. He didn't call them. He commands them to work. You stay at home mom, I would say, that's flourishing. You can make that flourishing. That's good work. There are little tiny beings that are looking at you to, to, have, to learn what it means to live, to learn who God is, to learn what it means to live in a society and help other people flourish. That's good work. And we don't have to be on this quest. It's okay if we find it. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But we can't get obsessed with this idea of calling because really the thing that God calls us to is him. God called Adam to belong to him, to be in relationship with him. I mean, think about worship in Genesis 1 and 2. Just really isn't there because it's part of what life is. Adam discovers who God is and who he is in his work. And isn't that true? Don't you, have you ever sat with someone who's retired, who's had a long career, and they're sitting in a, in a nursing home, and they're kind of reminiscing about work. They want to do something. They want to express themselves. Because that's who God made us to be. It's part of our DNA. And I think that's true of most of us, that we can discover more of who we are, and what we have, and what we need through work. But again, God creates and is about life, not just work. And Jesus comes on the scene, like I said, and he says, this is my work, to do the will of God. And he says, not just to do his will, but to finish his work, John 4. And this work isn't about, we talked about the Greeks, we talked about the ancient other cultures. In America, what would you say? About comfort? About money? About retirement? This is kind of the American dream, right? And, and maybe even finding the perfect job. And, and Jesus would say, no, no, no. No, it's about life. A thriving, flourishing life. Now, I really hope, it's my prayer, as I've thought about this series for months and months, it's my prayer that, that we would discover who we truly are, we discover who and how God has truly designed us, and that it might, might even result in different work, and if it doesn't result in different work, that it would result in a different understanding of work, a different view of work, a different perspective of work, so you would know I'm at the place where God has me and it's good. But way, way more than that. I want us to discover who God is in this series. I want us to discover how God works. I want us to figure out um, how God has designed the world to work. That his work is not only creating and caring for 
and tending to, but it's also redeeming and restoring life and that your restoration life would happen. Not church, this church, but his restoring life. That's what Jesus comes on the scene to do. When the religious people came to him and they were like, okay, we got God figured out. Now we want to perform God works too. And he said, this is the only work you need to do. John 6, 29. Believe in the one who I, God sent. This is the work you need to do. Believe in the one God has sent. Believe in Jesus. If you, if you don't know Jesus, if, you, if you've never really said, I need you in my life, it might just start with a simple prayer. It might go something like, God, I need you in my life. I don't just need you in my life. I've been trying to do it on my own, and I've got to confess that I've been trying to do it on my own because it's not working. And Jesus doesn't just come to give us life. He comes us to give us, us life through his death. But he conquers death. He is raised, and he shows us that this is the way to life. And that by believing in his death and resurrection, that I can receive not just life, but eternal life, true life. When I ask for forgiveness for the things I've done wrong and the ways that I've gone against God, and when I trust that this is the way to life, then the Holy Spirit comes into me and lives in me. He can live in you. It's a great day. It says that heaven rejoices. Angels throw a party when one person comes and repents. But if you know Jesus and you trust Jesus with your life, then I have a question for you. Do you trust Jesus with your work? If you're a student, do you trust Jesus with your schoolwork? If you're retired, do you trust Jesus with the work that he has that's unpaid? Do you trust Jesus with your work? Maybe the biggest reason that that you and I have a disconnect between Sunday worship and Monday through Friday work is simply this. We've never asked him to be a part of it. We've truly never said day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, God, you worked, and I'm working, and I need you to work with me, and I want you to work through me. So if if that's where you're at, I challenge you with a prayer. What do I need to do? Rob, give me an action step. I like action steps. I need a next step. Okay, here's your next step. Pray this prayer every day this week. Lord God, fill me with your creative power so that I can help people flourish today. Lord God, fill me with your creative power so I can help people flourish today. If you trust Jesus, then he is the wellspring of life. He's the source of life. Everything you do this week can be viewed through that lens. Every morning, Lord God, thank you for work. Thank you that you worked. Fill me with your creative power so that I might help people thrive and flourish. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for a radically different message to the worldviews 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago. God, today, I pray that we could get this understanding of who you are, 
how you work. Thank you for manual labor, God. Thank you for people in the service industry and people in the professional industry and people who help others flourish. Not a flourishing for our own self-centeredness, God, but a flourishing to reflect who you are. God, may we pray this prayer this week. Lord God, fill us with your creative power so that others may flourish. Amen.